One hour. One hour. Okay. Okay, now listen, everything I'm going to talk to you about tonight is coming out of this book. Uh, this book is a result of Denise and I living our life coming out of uh, great parents, great, great parents, both of us. Hers and mine were, uh, both of our fathers worked for DuPont Nylon Company. Uh, her father went through the eighth grade, dropped out of school, got kicked out, dropped out, whichever who you talk to. Uh, my father went through the 12th grade twice, again, for some legitimate reasons. And uh, But uh, both went to church and both paid their tithe. I don't know how else to say it that simple. Uh, went to Baptist church, preached a lot of good faith, and some hellfire damnation, scared you out of hell, scared you into heaven, tell you about Jesus, uh, things you need to do, and uh, help the poor and help people and pay your tithe. And so um, God's a God of law and order. What you do, he'll do. And so they've both been blessed. Uh, my father went home to be with Jesus about 20 years ago, 19. Uh, my mom still gets a great check from DuPont. He spent uh, uh, almost 30 years there in great retirement uh, while he was alive. And, uh, uh, and then after he passed away, that check still comes. As long as my mother's alive, she'll get that check every month. It's a really good check. <laughs> Mom's living good. Yes, she is. Anyhow, my father-in-law... Uh, retired from DuPont. He was also in the Navy uh, for six years. and got out and got the Naval Reserve, finished that 20 years. So he gets a check from DuPont and from the Navy. So Fondon brings in a little over 30000 a year, and uh, he's 95. He retired at age 65. So for 30 years, he's got checks. Almost a million dollars. Right out of a million dollars he's got in the last 30 years uh, for sitting home. God bless America. <laughs> God bless DuPont. <laughs> yeah, anyhow. Well, the industrial age died. I know they didn't tell you that, but it did. Uh, when I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, we were the ninth leading industrial country in the, in, uh, city in the United States. We did more output. Factories everywhere. Massive, beautiful, blue-collar city. Real rich people lived up on Signal Mountain. They were off New York. They came down and built a lot of stuff. We were the blue-collar people that went to work for them. A lot of knitting mills, Dixie Yarn, and so forth. We, we worked factory work, swing shifts, and... Uh, uh, Dix Yarns had a beautiful community there in Rivermont, north of Chattanooga. They built their own houses. They had their own golf course, uh, Olympic-sized swimming pools. And they owned you. They were a company-run company, and the company owned you. You bought and shopped at the company store, but life was good. As long as you worked there, life was really, really good. So we had no idea of making money on our own. We had no concept. How, how do you make Well, you get out of school. Uh, hopefully you get out of school. You finish, you get out, and you find yourself a girlfriend. You get married, and you get a job. Then what? Well, you wait till you die. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm telling you. How did you think? Well, you get out of school, you get married, you get a job, and then you wait till you die. In the meantime, there's a lot of other stuff that happens. You know, have some kids and whatever, and put in a new transmission, fix the roof, and, you know, go fishing, hunting, have Thanksgiving dinner, and go visit somebody at Christmas, eat some fruitcake. Well, well, the industrial age died. I remember when I worked for uh, uh, DuPont, where my father worked and my father-in-law worked, when they both retired, DuPont ran, was running about 7,000 employees. Today they have less than 700. That plant still sits there uh, right by Chickamauga down there in Chattanooga. Magnificent plant, beautiful location right on the river, beautiful plant. Uh, they, they run on less than 700 employees now because it's all automated. And they've outsourced what didn't, that was manual labor, they've outsourced to either China or to Mexico. And everything there is automated. So they still make a lot of nylon. Uh, if you work there today, you make less money than my father and father-in-law made when they retired 30 years ago because they cut back on salary. There is no retirement. 
None. There's no health benefits. None. There's no dental insurance. None. My father's 95. When he goes to the doctor once a month, get a checkup, whatever he needs, he pays nothing. DuPont still pays for that. God bless DuPont. But they don't do that anymore. Why? I'm going to say it again. The industrial age died. When was it born? Well, around the turn of the century, 1905, if you want to find a legal number, factories. Uh, everybody left the farm, went to work to the city, made factories in you know, everything from Ford and the Chevrolet, GMC, you know, we're going to start making stuff. Great jobs, great money, everything's good. Big time blue collar. Uh, unions were real big. We're going to take care of the working man and so forth. Well, that's changed. Uh, it, it died basically in the 80s. Uh, somebody says 1984, but, you know, somewhere in there. And now everything got outsourced. And so there's still money. There's still jobs. It's just not in the same place for 30 years. Uh, the ACT, SAT people that write the college exams told us in 1984, by the year 2000, the average American would change vocations five times in the lifetime. Not jobs. Not jobs. Vocations. Because the industrial age has died, the information age has been born, the average American will have to learn five new ways of earning a living in their lifetime. Do you understand that? So there's money, it's just instead of you finding it one place for 30 years, there's still some of those places, God bless them, but they're very, very few. But there's still money. It's just instead of it coming in, you have to swim out and go find it. And so we're having to do things our parents had no concept of training us to do. They didn't know themselves. But it was in the word of God about believing to get your needs met. Do you understand? My job, First Timothy 5, 8, any man that does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel. He is his one who has denied the faith. My job is to provide for my family. It's like, well, you know how much it costs? I remember we used to, we'd go out and eat it like at Shoney's. Now I love Shoney's. My wife hates Shoney's. I love Shoney's. Whatever they deep fried in, it's good. I don't care. You deep fried, it tastes good. <laughs> my mother had a Betty Crocker deep fryer. It was full of pork grease. And I don't care what you cooked in it. It tastes like pork. It just tasted good. Which cook? I don't care. It's going to taste good because it's been cooked in deep fried pork grease. And if that won't do it, put some gravy over it. It's good. And so all of a sudden everything changed. So now here we are and people would look at us. We go to Shoney's with six kids and they'd always ask, are all these yours? No, we borrowed some from our neighbors. We have a mission to feed people in the evening. We just found kids to come and feed. <laughs> yes, they're ours. And then they'd always say, they'd follow and say, are you Catholic? And I didn't understand it because I, I knew nothing about Catholicism. No, we're Baptist. Oh. What kind of Baptist? <laughs> Southern. <laughs> like, you know, what are you looking for here? And I remember used to, we teach our marriage seminars, people would ask us about, about kids. and said, wow, you sure must like kids. I said, no, I like my wife. <laughs> the children were not on my mind. Now, now, I, I did, and when Denise and I were first married, two weeks into our marriage, we did talk about a family. She said, well, let's talk about a future. We did talk about kids. She said, would you like to have any children? I said, sure. She said, well, how many would you like? I said, well, I don't know. You're the one that's going to have them. How many do you want? Now, her father has 12 brothers and sisters. My father has 12 brothers and sisters. My mother and her mother have five brothers and sisters. We came from really big families. And so she said, how many kids do you want to have? I said, I don't know. How many do you want to have? You're going to have them. She said, well, I'd like to have five. Now, I remember when she said it, reading our little nasty garage apartment, you know, two weeks into our marriage, we're just in love eating pancakes. 
We don't have hardly any furniture, but we're in love, so who cares? And it's eating pancakes that taste real good. Five sound like a small number to me. Because I knew all my father's brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles. They're a great family. They'd laugh, fight, holler, you know, cuss and love and hug. And they just, it was family. Long before MTV and McDonald's and driving movies, there was family. If you want to bar something, go see a family member. You got a family, they're going to come bar something from you. Half the time, you're barring your stuff back. And so to me, five seems like a small number. When now we have six kids, and people say, well, how come you have six? I said, because the Bible says he'll do above and beyond all you ask or think. And we asked for five, and he gave us six. <laughs> now, you do know that I have six, six kids, five girls, and a boy. John's the youngest. He was number six. <laughs> I remember he popped out. We were all shocked. Good Lord, it's a male. Because <laughs> I'd given up after five girls. Well, I'd be destined to have girls. I'm just going to have girls that love on me, so. Anyhow, uh, going through that process, I realized something, that every year the cost of living went up. Because I started off living in a $55 a month rent house, and I had a beautiful rent house. It was immaculate. Well, we had that thing cleaned up, new roof, new siding, painted. We cleaned out the kitchen, re-gutted, new kitchen cabinets and furniture and refrigerators and a nice dryer, and, and we had nice furniture. Now, it's only, it's only got 900 square feet. It's a small place, but it's immaculate. Beautiful hardwood floors. It's $55 a month. Well, you know, eventually I had to change jobs. I got laid off. We had to move to Missouri. There's nothing for $55 a month. I remember looking for a rent house, being a young, ignorant believer. I thought, I'm looking for something. I might stretch. I might believe for 100 a month. Well, I went to some rent houses for 100 a month. Fleas jumped all over you and place stank and there's dog poop on the floor. And like, what kind of crazy heathen people live out here in Missouri? I, I, I'm trying to up my living. I came from a really nice $55 a month. I'm rather than to stretch and double to 100 and I'm getting something worse. Well, I realized the cost of living had gone up. I was just in an odd area at an odd time, you know. So we found a place for 320 a month. It wasn't much nicer than my $55 a month. Whoa, whoa. Of course, then I had my pickup truck that I had bought brand new, Chevrolet, uh, short bed pickup. I bought brand new off the truck for $2,349, cash, brand new. I should have bought a dozen of them, put nine of them in the garage just as it wore out, get another one out. <laughs> Because, you know, you go today, it's 35000 to get a pickup truck. I'm like, well, all of a sudden, you know, kids are coming, and, and they need stuff and diapers and, uh, uh, you know, after, after a while, special stuff and dental stuff. And, and it's like and they're outgrowing their clothes, and, and clothes are more expensive than diapers, and I need a bigger bedroom. And I, they won't all fit in the truck. i got to get, you know, a bit, something bigger for the ride in. That's more expensive. It's like, whoa, man, whoa. Of course, this was the time I realized I needed to go back to night school because you only get paid for two things, for what you know and what you can do. I also didn't know much, couldn't do much because I wasn't getting paid much. So I thought, man, i got to go back to school. I've got kids at home. I watch one where I'm at. House needs some maintenance. I need some more money. i got to go to school and pay money. Like, whoa, somebody should have talked to me. Well, they tried to. I wouldn't listen. I'm in love. You know how it is. How you want to do suck the lips off somebody's face? You don't care. Now, I'm not making that up. You do. What do you want to do? I want to suck the lips off that woman's face. Man, my wife's a great kisser. She still is, buddy. Puck her up. <laughs> she can get mad too there's a reverse in her gears but anyhow <laughs> if I'd known what all that kissing cost me I should have figured out what each kiss cost me because that was an expensive kiss I don't know how good it was I should have known that good that's an expensive kiss and so I realized I was driven to God not out of a love for God I was driven to God out of a fear of failing and not making it and it's just being honest why'd you chase God I needed it I can't make it it's isn't working. I need help. Somebody, Jesus, help me. 
Well, I had no idea what God had promised about supplying all my need. I thought that some goofy, charismatic, you know, Pentecostal gum flapping, let's go dance down front and sweat a while and go home. I didn't realize it was real. And I realized there's a thief, John 10.10. He steals, he kills, and he destroys, and he's still here. He's not been dropped in the bottomless pit yet. He hates my guts, not because of me, because of God. God in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So if I'm not walking in faith, if I get saved, I paint a bullseye on me. I'm trying to scare you, trying to help you out. When I went from the devil's family to God's family, I painted a bullseye on my backside. The devil, he doesn't like me. So I need to grow up in the family of God quick. I need to grow in God's grace and his knowledge. I need to start walking in faith. Every great man and woman of God, that's why you ought to read the stories in the Bible. Every great man and woman of God had to whip something. David had to whip something. Solomon had to whip something. Jeremiah had to whip. What would you have to do? They had to go whip something. Why? Because there's a devil who uses people to come after you. But God promised you victory. Not that you wouldn't have to fight. He promised you victory. Not that you wouldn't have to fight, but he promised you victory. So I realized my problem is my thinking. I don't think right. Why? Because I'm not in the Bible like I should be. So all this carnal need drove me to God. I started reading my Bible. Why? You love God? Well, I think I do. I mean, it's not because I have a passionate love for God. It's because I'm, I'm getting the snot beat out of it and I'm going broke. I'm just being honest. Now, I had a love for God. I understand, but I'm just going to be honest. What drove you there? I got needs. I got some deep needs. I need God to help me. My wife doesn't love me as much anymore. She's mad. My kids are getting older and expensive. Transmission's leaking. Dryer door won't stay shut unless you put duct tape on it. Clothes don't fit anymore because I'm getting fat. Because I eat a lot of cheap food at night because when you're depressed, you feed your face. I love grilled cheese sandwiches at midnight. Velveeta cheese. Double it up. Now, I'd put a tomato on it just to make me feel good about myself, but it didn't help any. I'm not lying to you. I'm trying to help you out. And so we moved toward God. We kind of got excited. We started believing God, but we started dropping babies like rainwater out of heaven. And, and uh, because your faith has to grow. So our faith was there, but it stopped growing. We, we started leaning on what we used to know instead of pressing in with God every day. You know, God says, seek me early. He's not lying. He means it. I need to hear God's voice every morning, every day. I need to pray without ceasing. I can't just pray on Sunday. I need to be praying all the time, praying in the Spirit, praying in the Holy Ghost, speaking the Word of God. I need to get me a list of things. And the people I heard and listened to that made it long term, you know, from the Billy Grahams on down. I, I remember Billy Graham, they asked one time, if you could live your life over again, what would you do different? He said, I'd spend more time reading the Bible instead of books about the Bible. Wow, that's where my faith came from. Derek Prince, great old English preacher, man, he was a great guy. He said, well, if you had your life, he said, I tell you, I just started quoting scripture a lot earlier than I did. Because used to him and his wife, they'd get up and they'd read about 200 scriptures every morning. Just quote the word of God, what God says about them and their life and their prosperity and their health and, and protection and their ministry that they were praying for that is reaching the world. You know, he's been dead for six, seven years, and he is the number one radio ministry in the world. And he's been dead. He's, he's still effective, which is what he prayed that he would be. And he said, I want, I want my fruit to remain. You promised it would, so even after I'm gone, I want my work to continue and keep bearing fruit. So he's in heaven. He's still got rewards rolling in because he's still working down here even though he's in heaven. I like that just there by itself. So, brothers, we've got to get in the Scripture. I remember Denise and I fell asleep one night. We woke up about 2 o'clock in the morning, born again, spirit-filled, in church, reading our Bible, but got just kind of overwhelmed because of the business of life. You know, just, oh, man, things that happened. I remember, you know, 
and my daughter's almost died and had to go to the hospital intensive care for 10 days. We'd had another drunk driver hit us in a car wreck, almost killed two of my babies, but they came out with no scratches. And so we were running on the edge of some miracles, some great testimonies. I thought, what is going on? Well, we'd stopped doing what we knew to do. We're going to church, but we're not using our faith. We're not sinning blatantly. You know what I mean? We're not getting drunk, fornicating, stealing stuff, shooting people. You know, you know the blatant sins, not the little stuff you, you won't let God deal with you about. And so there's nothing really wrong, but we've stopped using our faith. I remember we woke up about 2.30 in the morning, and um, she's laying on the couch. I'm in the lazy bull recliner. The TV's still on. House is a stinking mess. And we wake up, and I realize I woke up 2.30. TV's on. I thought, oh, my God. I said, what time is it? And I've got an empty half gallon of Blue Bell ice cream on my belly. A whole half gallon. It's just the bucket. The lid's gone and the spoon. It's empty. It's just sitting on my belly, which is something because it was full. My wife is asleep on the couch, hand over the side, and a drool running out of her mouth. And there's a half-gallon empty vanilla ice cream bucket next to her. So we were, on, we were on legal drugs. We were on drugs. Ice cream is a legal drug. Because that milk and that sugar, once it hits your system, it's like, it'll knock you out. Then you want more. And I remember we woke up, and I thought, oh, my God. Oh, my God, what's she doing? And I'm, I'm, I'm mad at my wife. My God, what's she asleep on the... Did you eat that whole bucket of ice cream? And I've got an empty bucket on my belly. You know how it is you're attacking somebody else. You won't judge yourself, you judge other people. She said, well, did you eat that whole bucket? And I thought, oh, dear God, did I? <laughs> and then we start, yeah, you fell asleep. You fell asleep. What's the matter? What's the matter with you? You're late. You sorry, no good. We're just yelling 2.30 in the morning. The ice cream had wore off. Well, we didn't sleep but about three or four hours. Got up early the next morning. We're still mad at each other. And I realized, man, my house is a mess. It's just a mess. I got busted sheetrock where the kids come down the stairs too fast. A fan that's missing a blade because it wore off. They don't make them anymore. And I need to replace it. But it's just a pain to do it. And, you know, my cars need fixing up. My house needs fixing up. And, and I thought, oh, my God. So I, I thought, man, I, I, I got to get a handle on this guy. What happened to him? I used to be really good at this. And so I remember I took a yellow pan. It took all day for me to do it. And I realized at the end of one day, I went through everything that was busted and broke. Okay, if I fix everything, paint everything, replace everything that needs to be replaced, what do I need? Well, it was like three pages on a yellow pad, and I estimated the cost. They weren't accurate. I estimated I needed about $50,000 to fix the cars, the house, repair stuff. And I'm just sitting there, you know, on a Wednesday night. We're going to go to church, and I'm just sitting there at the kitchen table. And they say, what's the matter? I said, well, I think it's called depression. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. I may have it said, you know, it's, I got three pages worth of busted stuff. We need $50,000 just to get back to even. Just to get to even. Not ahead. Even. And, of course, we started yelling again. We went to church. And we sat there and sang to Jesus and shook hands. Praise God. How you doing? We're doing great. Thank you, Jesus. How you doing? God bless you. Whoa, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. And that's after cussing each other in the suburban on the way to church with our kids listening in the back seat. And then we were born again in spirit field. You understand how nasty it can get? I realized we got to get a handle on this. we got to change. I'm not going to change overnight, but i got to change. I've come out of this before. i got to come out of it again. And so we begin to make changes. So this book is a result of that second journey to salvation. And it's an ongoing process. So bear with me if I violate some laws of public speaking. I'm just going to give you some stuff. It's just going to go through this first and give you some scriptures. I'm going to read you some stuff and show you the first steps you need to take. Okay? First steps you need to take. Uh, Listen, you don't need to get this book. Now I'd make this as a thing. You can do this without buying anything on my table. 
Everything I'm going to give you now, you can do for free. Everybody say free. Say free. All you got to do is do what I'm telling you to do, and it'll help you. Now, here's the first step you need to take. Your past will kill you if you don't get rid of it. You understand that? So how do you deal with your past? Well, you repent over what? Doesn't matter. So I'm going to lead you just in a very short confession that I've done it with my kids all the time. I'm tired of you digging up your past. I do not have a time machine. I can't not go into your past and fix it. My future is very bright. God's mercy is new in the morning, not yesterday. Stay out of your past. Stay out of your spouse's past. Stay out of your financial past. You have no power of your past except to repent over it. You understand? Do not give the devil leverage over something stupid you did, a mistake you made, a financial mistake, a moral mistake. I don't care what it is. All you can do is repent and forget. Do you understand that? So I'll just lead you this in a personal one. Say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, come on, Heavenly Father, forgive me of any sins I have committed against you, my fellow man, or my own flesh. I receive forgiveness with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. You're clean. If you believe what you just said, your past doesn't exist in heaven. All the pages of every stupid thing you did and said just got washed by the blood of Jesus. It is not readable. It is not legible in heaven. The book with your name on the end of it, when you get there, well, where's all the stupid stuff I did? I repented over it. There's no record of it. My sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. And that is a legal status for you. Now, I could take an eight-hour seminar and try to explain that, but you're just going to take me by faith. It's a legal status. Devil, you have no place over me. You did that. Yeah, but I repented. There's no legal record in heaven. You can't touch me with it. <laughs> Woo! Grace, 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 grace. Now, here's where we're going to start. Blessed or broke. Third John 2, I quoted this morning. Beloved, I wish above all things that you'd prosper and be in health that your soul prospers. So I realized the reason I'm in a financial mess is my thinking. There's something wrong with my thinking. Now, I'm a hard worker. My daddy taught me to work hard. Uh, I paid tithes occasionally. Okay, I remember being mad when I paid my tithe. It was my first church I was working for. I was on church staff. Yep, I hate to admit this. Anyhow, front row of this church staff, about 3,000 people, and I'm on staff. I'm thrilled to be there. I remember paying my tithe one Wednesday night. I put that check in the bucket. It came by, and I put that check in the... And I'm, here's what I thought. I literally, I'm on staff. I love Jesus, but I'm mad because we're, we're in trouble financially. I said, well, there goes my truck tire money. My truck tires are baller than a baby's behind. It's dangerous. I'm driving on them. And I remember I was thinking as they passed the bucket because they started on the front row and go back. I said, they want my truck tire money, God. You better put an angel on never tire. They better not go flat because I just spent my truck tire money for you. Now, let me explain something about tithing. If you don't have faith behind it, you just soon take that check and flush it down the toilet. There's no power behind it. If your faith's not behind dropping a check in a bucket is not a slot machine in heaven. If there's no faith behind your giving, it will not produce for you. Do you understand that? Faith without works is dead. Work without faith is dead. I worked. I put a check. Is my faith behind it? No, they didn't do any good. You just gave away your money. You got to believe what you do. You got to believe it's true. Well, how do I know? I got to get to the, I got to go to the word of God. I got to put my faith in the book. So I realize I got to start with that. Second scripture, 1 Timothy 5, 8, I just quoted. If anybody does not provide for his own, especially those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So realize my soul is going to have to prosper because evidently I don't have a prosperous soul because I'm broke as dirt. Number two, I got a family and I had a bunch of them. Boy, they're expensive. They're not going to go away. If they leave home when they're 18, they're going to cost me about a million dollars each according to the welfare uh, or the Department of Agriculture. They estimate it takes a million dollars to take one child from birth to age 18 in America if you're average. A million. A million. 
a million. Who, put a, who, who made those numbers? What idiot came up with those numbers? That's average. Well, I'm not average because we're not going to do that. But, man, they're sucking me dry. I can't get ahead. I got too many kids. You ever confess that? I can't get ahead. I got too many kids. And they're going to be here for a long stinking time. That's why you get mad at them and turn 18. Get out of here. Go get a job. Get an apartment. Get your own car. Dear God, how much money is it going to take? And you're not training them. You're just, you're just cursing them. Not cussing. You might be doing it. You're just cursing them. I said, Lord, my job is to train them. Well, somebody should have told that when I was having them. You know, you're going to have to train them when they get here. What? I'm just kissing and hugging right now. Well, I'm just telling you, when the kissing's over, you're going to have to train them. They're going to be here a while. Kissing and hugging takes about that long. Training takes a long time. You ever heard somebody tell you, how'd you get here? You were a twinkle in your daddy's eye. What? It didn't last long. It was just a twinkle. (laughs) But you're going to be around forever. (laughs) Whoa, help me, Jesus. Did you know the United States of America has more runaway fathers than any nation on the face of the planet? Runaway fathers. Why? Men hate looking stupid. Number one need of all men is honor. That's called looking good. That's why when we shoot something, we hang the head on the wall. It's honor. Shot that. Killed that. Beat that to death. Hit that and drug it home. <laughs> That's why Mary's like, who's that? That's my wife. She's mean to snot. I'm telling you. I don't even want to go home. What's that? Kids, dear God, I multiply myself. I'm nuts and I got a bunch of just like me. And when men can't fix anything, they'll run, they'll leave, they'll run away. We're not supposed to run away. We're the righteous. The righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man pursues. So realize I got to get the word of God in. Now, I'll give you this. I like this. Source of financial security, Luke 12, 22. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat. About your body, what you will wear. <laughs> Who, by worrying, could add a single hour to his life? Well, I, I worry about that. How are we going to feed these kids? You're gonna have to, is, you mean when they ate all of it? They ate the whole box of cereal this morning? We just bought cereal the other day. Well, they ate it all this morning. Each other six kids, six bowls of cereal, and they all ate two bowls. Well, dear Lord, that's $5 a box. $5 a day. Tom said, that's $35 for breakfast just for some cereal? That's not even the eggs or toast. That's just cereal. I'll just tell you where we've been. That's enough cereal. Don't put any more in there. Look how much milk you wasted. Put that in the refrigerator. You can put cereal on that tomorrow. Look at it. You're not throwing that milk away. Some of you have been there. Anyhow. There are two keys to God's economy. Number one is obedience. Number two is faith. Give you these two scriptures. Obedience. Job 36, 11. If I obey and serve God, I will spend my days in prosperity, my years in pleasure. First time I read that, I was broke, in debt. I got a lot of people consuming a lot of stuff. I thought, dear God, is that just an Old Testament stupid scripture? Was somebody crazy when he wrote that? Nope, if I obey. Obey what? His word. Well, I realize I must not know it because I'm sure not obeying because I'm not in prosperity and I'm not in pleasure. God's will is that I be prosperous and I be living a pleasurable life. What do I need to do? Be obedient to what? Evident in the word. So evident I don't know any word. And that's what we're going to do. Now, I'm going to show you how to start it yourself. You can do it any way you want. I did three by five cards. Now, they're all, every scripture, every scripture that I found on prosperity is in this book. Everyone I found is in this book somewhere. So I put them on three by five cards. Buddy of mine put them on paper plates. I've got to start changing my thinking. 
You know, if you want to change a habit, they tell you secular people tell you it takes 21 days to change a habit. You want to change a habit, do it for 21 days, and it'll stay with you. Uh, well, let's just make it a month, you know. Let's meditate in the Word day and night for 30 days, see what happens. In what Word? Well, where am I weak? The Bible says, where you're weak, there will I make you strong. Where strength come from? The Word of God. i got to start feeding what God said about prosperity and wealth and getting my needs met because I don't have my needs met, and I'm broke as dirt, and I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. So evidently, those scriptures don't apply to me because I evidently have no faith behind them. You understand? So, obedience, second scripture, Isaiah one nineteen. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. <laughs> you ever gone to a restaurant and eat some junky food? Because it was cheap. I've done that. Like, why'd you eat that? It's cheap. Why'd you buy that? It was cheap. No, cheap stuff breaks easy. Did you notice that? I got a deal. Why would you bought something cheap? It's going to wear out twice as quick. Should have bought something good and it lasted longer. You know, quality, quantity, so forth. Faith. Now watch this. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans 10. I like this. Hebrews 10, 38. Now the just shall live by faith. If any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. God said, God said, God said, the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back from what? From using his faith. If any man not uses, doesn't use his faith, God said, I shall have no pleasure in it. Well, I want to please God, so I want to start using my faith. The Bible says faith speaks. You don't have to feel it. You just need to start saying it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The weak say I'm strong and the poor say I'm rich. So, anyhow, I'm going to give you these numbers. This is from the federal government. Uh, you can go through this. This is the government tracks people. This is from the last census. This is the, what the numbers were from the federal government. This is not Christian. This is secular. For every 100 people the government tracks in the United States, we are the richest nation on the face of the planet. Last year, $26 trillion changed hands in our country. We're the richest nation on the face of the planet. It goes downhill when you leave America. We're still number one financially. But here's what it says. Out of every 100 people the government tracks, by age 65, 36 die. 36 out of every 100 people in America are not living to age 65, so they don't have to worry about retirement. They won't be here. That's why you ought to be believing the Scriptures. With long life will I satisfy them and show my salvation. If you get wisdom, what's wisdom have? It has length of days in its left hand, riches and honor in its right. Well, I need a long life, and I need riches, and I need honor. Where do you get it? Wisdom? How do I get wisdom? If you lack wisdom, ask of God. He'll give it liberally. Every day of my life, Father, I thank you today for Sarah Jessica Cortez, Lauren John Denise, and I thank you for liberal wisdom, Father, for practical, successful daily living today. It comes out of my mouth. I don't even feel it sometimes. You say, you believe that? Sure, I believe it. And I've said it for so many years, it comes out rote sometimes. But my faith's behind it. I need wisdom for everyday living. If I'm not wise, I'm one of three other things. I'm simple-minded, I'm foolish, or I'm scornful. Those are the four kinds of people in Proverbs. Wise, simple, foolish, and scornful. Wise people live long. They have wealth. They own companies. I'm summarizing a lot of scriptures. Simple-minded people work for wise people. Foolish people make fun of wise people. Scornful people cuss wise people. Everybody in America as a whole right now wants the government to take care of. Politically, we're trying to make the Republicans and Democrats take care of us. Now, here's the thing people don't understand. Now, now maybe you do, but you don't fully understand it because you're not looked at the numbers. The government is us. You understand that? They owe us. Who owes us? The government? I'm the government. You mean I owe me? Why don't I just keep instead of paying them to pay it back to me after they take their salary out of it? Do you understand? Well, the rich people owe us. Now, watch this. Here's what I'm going to try to help you tonight if I don't do another thing. Poor people hate rich people. Most poor people think they're poor because the rich people have it all. They don't. 
They don't. Let me do it this one. I don't try to use these numbers very often. Jewish Americans. Jewish Americans make up 2% of our population. 2% of the United States is Jewish. Okay, immigrants came. Most live on the east or west coast. 2% of the population of America is Jewish, yet they account for one-third of all multimillionaires. That's why people hate Jews, because they're all filthy, stinking rich. I never heard the word Jew without the word in front of rich. Who, who lives there? Bunch of rich Jews. Who owns that building? Bunch of rich Jews. Like we were cussing them somehow. Rich is a four-letter word, but it's not a cuss word. How'd they get rich? Because they've been persecuted on every continent on the planet, and they realize nobody's going to hire them. So rich Jews, they own their own business. They don't work for people. People work for them. Because they realize nobody's going to hire us for Jews. They don't like us. They cuss us, and they hate us. So some people, some of them change their last name, but they own companies. Do you know two Jewish guys started a Home Depot because they got fired from Handy Dan? Because they got found that they were Jewish, they didn't like them. <laughs> so Home Depot's doing good. Traveler's Insurance. Traveler's Insurance. The CEO of Traveler's Insurance made $14 million last year. That was his salary, and then he got a $4 million bonus. Christmas was good, except he doesn't believe in Christmas. He started his own company because his daddy got fired for being Jewish. Persecution can turn out to be a good thing sometimes. What do you know? I have need, and I need to get it met. I'm going to start chasing God. Anyhow, 36 out of every 100 Americans don't make it to age 65. 54 out of every 100 Americans by the age 65 are living on government or family support. This is the U.S. Census. 54. 36 are dead. 54, by the time they retire, won't have enough money to live on their own. They're living off their Social Security check or they're living with a family member. And the richest nation on the face of the planet. Hmm. Those are some nasty numbers. In case you don't realize, that's 90% of all Americans. 90% of Americans don't have to worry about retirement. They won't have it or they'll be dead. Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't want to be in the majority then. Well, that's what most people are doing. I don't want to be most people. I want to be in the minority, evidently. Here's the other numbers. Five are working because they still have to. Now, I didn't do it this time, but when I was here in August, I went to uh, McDonald's and got me one of those mushroom wraps. I like those things, mushroom wraps. I like to think I'm eating healthy. I'm not, but it just feels like it. And down here at McDonald's, uh, here in town, uh, there was a grandmother working the booth. White-haired lady with a Garth Brooks headphone on. Very polite. Very wonderful Tennessee lady. Well, I went through late. It's like, is it like 11-something? And can I help you? And I ordered it. And she took the money and got my wrap for me. And I thanked her. God bless you. Now, you think Grandma wants to be down there at 11 o'clock at McDonald's, standing on her feet on a Garth Brooks head? No. Why is she down there? Because she needs the job. So we got 5% out of 100 Americans working. Why? They have to. Couldn't afford to retire. Got to. Well, God bless America. At least you can go get a job. It says four are well off and one was considered wealthy. Four well off. So only 5% of the United States of America citizens will be able to live a good life when they retire, according to the U.S. Census. Now, the other number that came out of this is this. 97% of all Americans have no working budget. If you go down here to town tomorrow and just walk down the street, hey, can I ask you a question? Do you have a family budget? A what? Budget. Do you budget every month? No, I need to. No, we don't. We don't. I've got some bills stacked up, though. 97% of all Americans have no working budget. They don't know how much they owe, how much they own, how much they earn, where it goes. They have no knowledge. Where there's no knowledge, faith can't work. Faith needs knowledge to work. Well, those numbers are so close, I think they're, compare, I think they're hooked together. If only 5% can retire... 
and only 3% are running the budget, those numbers are close enough, I think they're probably close. You profit wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. The greatest miracle you will ever do for yourself. Listen, I, I believe in anointing with oil, walking around things seven times. I do all the spiritual stuff. I do. I do. But the greatest financial miracle you'll ever do is get a budget. And tell how to do this. Tomorrow, this week, call your local insurance agent. I don't care who they are, where they're at. Or just go by an insurance office. They don't even have to be your agent. Walk in and ask them. They all have forms because they want to insure everything you own. So they have budget forms. Every insurance company has budget forms. They're blank. They'll hand you. And you just fill them out. What is it? Well, it's a budget form. Here's what I owe. Here's what I own. Here's how much it is. Here's what it's worth. And you, Because they want to insure it. And so you get to add all that up. And then when you get through, there's a bottom number. Here's my net worth. If I cashed everything in that I own, paid everything that I owe, the average American, the average American is worth just under $5,000. If you cashed in everything you have paid for to pay off everything you owe, the average American is worth just under $5,000 and the richest nation on the face of the planet. That's not good. We need to change that. So all I'm going to do now is just show you how to set this thing up. Now, I do this with my kids. I've done it, like I said, for, for Sarah. I've done it for 30 years. We started way, 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 way back. And my son-in-laws and my two new son-in-laws, they've already, I wish I should have brought my iPhone. He's got his five-year budget. God bless him. If you don't have numbers, you're not praying about it. You're thinking about what you're dealing with. I don't think about what I'm not dealing with. I'm thinking about what's in front of me. People all the time, and I teach on marriage, and they said, you think about me only when I'm looking at you. If I'm not looking at you, I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking about what I'm looking at, what I'm dealing with. I'm at work. I'm fixing something. I'm dealing with the kids. And, and so it's just like if I don't make me think about something, I won't. And so I realize I've got to start running some numbers. So with that, Matthew 25, let me read this to you. Show you where we're going to go, and then I'm going to show you how to do it. <clears throat> Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking. This is Jesus speaking. Here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip who called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing in proportion to their abilities. Now, let me explain this. One got five caught. Why? He's proven he can handle five. God will not give me more than I can handle. He is a God of stewardship. If I can't handle it, he won't give it to me. I've got to prove I can handle it. That's why budgeting is the greatest miracle you'll ever do. Now, you're going to go into depression when you do it. We've done it to so many couples in Tulsa. Cry, squall, holler, scream, and cuss in our office. I said, bring your bills. We'll find out where you're at financially. We'll help you set up a budget. It's always worse than you think because humans, we like to think about happy things and happy thoughts. Well, let's open some bills and see how bad it is. Like, oh, my God, we're, we're broke. We're broke. Yes, you are. You're bad broke. Whoa. Woo, have mercy. This is how broke you are. We have a number. <laughs> one couple that we have one time, and I've told this story several times, they were $184,000 in debt. They were loose. They'd lost their car, and they were losing their house. He's an engineer. Uh, she's a medical technician. They have college. they got education. But things got tough and tight and bad, and, and they didn't believe in tithing. They had met me outside church a year earlier, and, and I'd been teaching a seminar there in Broken Air, Oklahoma, and said, Joe, when you talk to you about tithing, they said, we don't think tithing's biblical. We think it's Old Testament. I get that said to me more times. That's Old Testament. Oh, okay. Well, you know, it's not really. It's in the New Testament. Jesus taught about, talked about it. But if you don't believe it, don't tithe. Because if you don't believe it, you, it won't do you a bit of good. If you're tithing, you think it's not working because it's an Old Testament deal. And it's just God and the church trying to get 10% of the money out of you. Don't do it because it won't bear you any fruit anyhow. Let's try a year without tithing. 
You won't go to hell. You can go, you can, listen, you don't have a tithe, a dime, and you'll go to heaven. Don't ever tithe, you'll still go to heaven. Don't give a dime, you'll still go to heaven. You're going to go broke, but you will go to heaven. Well, they came to us about 14 months later because he hadn't tithed in here. He didn't believe in it. He thought it was a waste of money. And they're broke. He's lost everything. Losing his house, his car, he's lost contracts. And, and so it took, it took uh, uh, three days for them to gather up all their bills. He had bills he hadn't opened. Two, three, four months of bills, they hadn't opened them. I said, why didn't you open this? Well, how, what good would it do? I can't pay it. I said, because you can't, get, you can't hit Goliath if you don't know where he's standing. How bad is it? You're not praying about it, that's for sure, because you have no knowledge of it. Open it up. Call the people you owe. Hey, I've been stupid with my money. I'm broke as dirt. Can you help me? Can I maybe pay you $5 a month instead of 585 a month? What can I do? Do you know those are humans you're talking to who've been through the same thing you've been through? 95% of them will help you. But if you don't ask them, they'll get mad and chase you down with some mean people. They hire mean people to come after you. Those are nice people on the phone usually. And so we went through and we found out they were $184,000 in debt. And I said, listen. And she got mad at him in the office and screamed at him. The kids started crying. We had to get their kids out of the office. I said, guys, y'all need to shut up and settle down. I said, this is the greatest day of your life. We have found the bottom of the barrel. Now, it's a deep barrel. You're $184,000 in debt. But I promise you, for the first time in your life, you're going to wake up in the morning, probably about 5 a.m. in a cold sweat, wanting to puke your guts out. Because you're going to wake up, and the first thing you're going to sit straight up in bed, oh, my God, oh, $184,000 in debt. And for the first time in your life, you're going to pray in faith, because faith will not work without facts. Father, I need $184,000. Have you ever prayed that? What? Have you ever asked God for No, I didn't know it was that bad. Well, then that's why he's not answering prayer. God will not answer what you do not ask. And what you don't ask in faith, he won't answer. Well, God said he'd supply all your need, and you got a really big one. <laughs> Whoa. And I don't care if you got the big need because you were stupid and lazy and sorry because God forgives sins in a moment of time, and he'll redeem your past. He said he would but not if you're not asking them. The greatest miracle you will ever do for yourself is get a budget. How much do we owe? When do we owe it? How bad is it? Because then and only then will you pray. And until you pray, nothing will happen. God is not moved out of pity. He's only moved out of faith. You understand that? Now, guys, I've been there. I've been there when the IRS, I've been there, listen, I've had the IRS come to my door before. I was like, hey, can I help you? I'm from the Eternal Revenue Service. Y'all know where I live? <laughs> now, I know you know this, but you know that they know where you are and where you're driving. They can see your house from satellite. You know that, don't you? I mean, I can do it in my office. You give me your address. Tonight, I can get on my laptop in my, in my hotel room, and I can look straight down on your house and see what's in your yard tonight. That's, that's public domain. <laughs> that's not even the government. I can find out what you owe, who you owe, how much you owe. It's the computer age. Nobody's hiding anymore. The truth will set you free. Well, if it's that ugly, let's find it and slap it and get rid of it. Let's not run from it because we can't outrun it. You know, you know how it is. I've been bear hunting once. That's the only time I went because I realized you can't outrun the bear. No, I'm really, it was a revelation. You can't outrun him. No, don't run. You see him, stand real still. <laughs> well, that's not going to happen. I'll climb a tree. He can climb faster than you. Then this is the last time I'm coming bear hunting. <laughs> I'm going to hunt quail. Boom. <laughs> I love quail hunting. Mm. Anyhow, he gave all the silver according to their ability. 
The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant who got two bags also went to work and earned two more. The servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they'd used the money. The servant whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more, said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I have earned five more. The master, now this is Jesus speaking. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And I love that. The servant who'd received two bags came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I have earned two more. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Poor people hate rich people because they blame them for their poverty. If I'm poor, it's not a rich person's fault. It's my fault. You understand that? The hand of the diligent bears through. The hand of the diligent is made rich. The thoughts of the diligent think about, think about plenteousness. If I'm poor, it's, nobody, it's not the government's fault. It's not my company's fault. It's not my daddy's fault. It's not my mama's fault. It's my fault if I'm poor. Until I face that, I'll never get out of it. Until I take responsibility, I will not be blessed. Oh, man, I just set somebody free. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in earth. And look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew that I harvested crops I didn't plant, gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, again, this is Jesus speaking, take the money from the servant, give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. God is a God of stewardship. You understand. People say, I need a better job. Well, why don't we steward what we got and let's see if one won't open up. It says this, but from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Well, I can't afford to do that, people. I don't know about you. I can't afford to have that happen. So the greatest miracle we have, because we're in a great local church, we did the seminars you're watching, you're going to be watching next week. Uh, so those of you who are coming, again, you can go get books. The public library for free. It won't cost you anything. I realize I've got to change my thinking. I got to change the nation. We came out of poverty and we were proud. We were hardworking, proud, poor people. I don't want to be that anymore. I don't want to, if Jesus tarries, I don't want to leave that same mentality to my children. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children and his children's children. So, I'll give you these numbers, just kind of throw these at you. Poverty level, poverty level. If there's four in your family, if you're a normal mom, dad, two kids, if you make less than $22,000 a year, you're in poverty. When there are six kids, I got eight in my family. If I make less than thirty-five, thirty-seven thousand ten dollars according to the federal government, I'm I'm I live in poverty. I qualify for food stamps. You know, when I was a kid, my daddy made ten thousand dollars a year and he was rich. Of course, we were living in fifty-five dollar month rent house like I was. I mean, you realize in nineteen sixty-five, if you made ten thousand a year, you were rich, man. Gosh, you make almost a thousand a month. Man, what do y'all do with all that money? Because when, when I was married in nineteen seventy-one, my rent's fifty-five dollars a month. Now, listen, my light bill is $12 a month. My water bill is $5 a month. For $35 a week, we can eat steak. You understand that? I feel this thing in rich. My wife's got a job. I got a job. Whoa, we're rich. $10,000, man, that won't get you through nothing today. That's just, woo, what happened? Well, the cost of living went up. It's not going down. 
But God's word didn't change. He said he'd supply all my need. I gotta get some I gotta get some need met. I like this. Rich people, you're only rich according to the federal government if you make a million dollars a year or more. <laughs> oh, you're rich. You make a million dollars and you're not rich. You're just you're just what are you? Well, you're affluent. That's a fancy word for you're not rich. Middle class. You know who middle class? Middle class is anybody making between twenty five and a hundred thousand dollars a year. If you're making ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars, nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars a year, you're middle class. What do you make here? I make nine hundred ninety nine thousand a year. Well, you're middle class. Who said federal government? That's your tax dollars at work. Go talk to them. Two kinds of thinking. I like this one. Middle class, job security. Well, that's how I thought. What do you want? I'll keep my job. How do rich people think? They want to build a business. Build a business. I just want a job. Good. Then stay middle. What do you want if you're middle class? I want a big house. I want me a big house. What do rich people want? Well, they want apartment houses, so people pay them. <laughs> Whoa. What do you want if you're middle class? I want to save some money. I've saved some money this month. What do rich people think? They want to invest money. They want money to make money, not them make money. So there's a deep thought. Middle class. What do you think? The rich are greedy. What do you know about rich people? They're generous. You know Bill Gates last year? $40 billion. <laughs> Not million, billion. <laughs> you know he gave away 20? I don't even know if he's a Christian. I don't think he is. But he gave away $20 billion. You know when you make 40, you can give away 20. He helps. They're fighting AIDS in Africa. They're feeding poor kids. He's helping... People in Appalachians, why? He's filthy, thick, and rich. Rich people help poor people. I don't know if you know that or not. We've been lied to by the devil. I love this scripture. This is my favorite scripture, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. When God gives any man wealth and possessions, who? God. When God gives any man wealth and possessions, enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot, and be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. You like your work? That's a gift from God. You're blessed and wealthy? That's a gift from God. What does it say about that man? This man seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. That's a scripture. That's a promise. What did God promise? I'll give you wealth and riches and let you enjoy your job. You'll be so occupied with gladness of heart you'll never think, I sure wish we were back in the good old days. I remember back in the good old days. There are no good old days. What days was that? The 40s when we were at World War and blowing everybody up and our sons were dying? The 50s, Korean War, and men, everybody got stupid and people were, you know, hippies and smoking weird stuff and sleeping together? You know, the 60s, when we really got screwed up, we were wearing hair like the Beatles. We we're like, <laughs> Elvis was dead and the Beatles were alive. When? There's no good old days. Our best days are in front of us, not behind us. You know, I like that. Now, I'll cover this tomorrow night, but I'm going to give you this here in closing uh, and show you how to set this up. You need, this is, I'm going to give you this. You need a yellow pad. Get a white one. I don't care, but I like yellow. You can find it. Now, you can do that this week, this month, but before the end of January, you need to get a yellow pad, and you need to do this right here. It's real simple. If you were in my office, I had you for 30 minutes. I've done this as a businessman. I can do it in 30 minutes. I get them calmed down. I said, number one, we need a budget. Go down here to my insurance company at State Farm. They'll give you all the paperwork for free. Go home, get your bills out, and find out how bad is it. Who do you owe? How much do you owe? And how's, what's it going to take to pay it off? And find out how many credit cards you got. What's the interest rate on them? Let's look it up. Let's find out how bad it is. Where is Goliath? How big is he? We're going to start with that. If you're scared now, let's just, just get the fear over with and find out just how really bad it is. Let's find out how bad it is, number one. Number two, 
Number two, what do you do for a living? Now, it's the berries, depending on who you're talking to. I said, well, you know, you only get paid for two things, what you know and what you can do. Maybe we need to go learn something else so you can make some more money. Maybe you need to go to night school. You know, every city has vocational training, much of it for free. I've told this before, but my, all my daughters, all five of my daughters, I may go to a two-week class to learn 10-key, 10 10-key 10 calculator, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine. Two-week class to learn how to run a 10-key. It's like typing, except you're running to run a calculator. If you can run a 10-key, you can get a job at any bank in America, usually at a minimum $14 to $16 an hour, minimum, working in air condition when it's hot and heat when it's cold. You're not at McDonald's. Nobody's there. You're not always having to change the grease pit, wash the dishes, mop the floor at midnight because at the bank you go home. The bank's closed usually at 5 or now the latest 8. Not as you work at night, night, people are yelling at you for getting their order wrong. In the bank, rich people are giving you the money to deposit. And so all my daughters, they went $39 for that course. My daughter got hired at the Bank of Oklahoma uh, as an accountant. She's got an accounting degree, made straight A's, 1B, all A's except for 1B. When they finished the interview, she said, you know why we hired you? Well, because I have a degree in accounting and make straight A's. No, honey, this is commercial banking. We don't hire people unless they have straight A's. Well, I guess because I'm good with people. I come from a big family. I have a lot of brothers and sisters. No, honey, we don't hire people unless they have people skills. This is commercial banking. Do you know why we hired you? She said, no, because you got the third highest score ever on our 10-key test. So Jessica came home and said, then you're not going to believe it. I got the job, Bank of Oklahoma, making really good money. Do you know why they hired me? I guess because you're a good student. Nope, they hired me because I scored third highest on a $39 course. A $40,000 education versus a $39 course. They hired me for the $39 course. Now, I could sit here all night and give you stories. She made herself valuable by learning something else besides what she knew. We make money by serving people. The better I serve them, the more money I make. So we'll come back. I need a budget. How bad is it? How much do I owe? Who do I owe? When am I going to get it paid off? That's going to be depressing. You're going to find out you need miracles. It's like, oh, my God, if I live to be 95, I'll never pay this off. Sure you will. There's a God that will work miracles. So we're going to work this out right here. Then we're going to find out what are you good at. Now, how do you do that? Well, my best suggestion would be go to the unemployment office. And just ask them if you can take the test. Now, sometimes they won't. You'll have to maybe move around. But you can offer, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks. and you let me take this test? Because the unemployment test is one of the greatest tests in America. You take that test, they'll come out and they'll say, well, Mr. McGee, since based on this test, we recommend you look for a job in one of these three areas. Now, there's a book we recommend in our finance book called Discovering Your God-Given Gifts by Don and Katie Fortune. It's every Christian bookstore in America. You can buy it at Walmart. They're born-again, spirit-filled educators from California. They're retired living in Jacksonville, Florida now, but they wrote one of the greatest books based out of Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 9. You take that test, and it's broken into seven categories. The motivational gifts written written about in, Romans, in the book of Romans. Are you a giver, perceiver? Are you a motivator? Because there are jobs that line up under those gifts. And that's something you're just naturally good at. And so we'll make you pick out what would you be good at. So you pick that out. You need to start chasing what you're good at. You shouldn't hate going to work. Got it? You should love going to work. What do you do at work? I fix stuff. What? I fix stuff. That's why they hired me is to fix stuff. We do it. Well, I'm trying to find an easy job. Well, then don't go get one. I don't know whether who is who's got the easy job. All jobs are hard. But if you're gifted, you should love going and doing that. You should love what you do. So how bad is it? What are you good at? Okay. How bad is it? I need this money. What are you good at here? Because this is how I'm going to make money. That means based on this second deal, my testing, my gifting, maybe I need to learn something else. Now, guys, I'm, I know you hate this, but I'm just telling you, I spent seven years in night school, and I had two babies at home. I didn't see my wife a whole lot. You understand that? But I became an engineer, and after that, the checks, it's like, oh. <laughs>
You understand? And then when we went into ministry, we had to start all over again. <laughs> it took three years to get to a two-year Bible school. Spent every dime I'd save. Sold my new house. Gave away a car. Three years of Bible school. We came out. We were poor as dirt, buddy. We were living off a. Of, I got a free tank of gas. at this. I worked two jobs besides going to Bible school. Get off and go to work one place from noon to five. Worked another place from five to midnight. My wife worked at a daycare center after school all day. We were making minimum wage at all three jobs. And we, got, we, could, we could afford a gallon of milk a week. We got a free tank of gas at the one place I worked at where I washed trucks. And I'd always park the truck on the bottom of the hill. So my gas tank was on the upside, and I'd fill it all the way to the very top. I'm not making this up because it took that whole tank to get me through a week. I couldn't afford to buy a tank of gas. I've been there where you're living day to day. My family would call crying. Are you doing okay? And my mom would send me a gallon of peanut butter. You know, kind of like his, you know, you know, food stamp stuff. Can you send you some peanut butter and send you some oranges and some apples? Do you need anything? Well, I don't know. You could write a check, I guess. You don't send any checks, but we'll take that peanut butter. And they never did send a check. Anyhow. And we love to live off peanut butter. Now, we had a bag of Crocker Fryer, and I'm not trying to gross you out or anything, but we, we could take... We could take peanut butter and roll it up in a ball like a fruit scoop, you know, like a melon scoop. Get your little round ball of peanut butter and roll it in powdered sugar. And then roll it in flour and deep fry it. In that pork grease. <laughs> My God, that's the best tasting thing you ever put in your mouth, man. Oh, have mercy. Wasn't any milk to drink with it. Man. <laughs> and when you, we did that, we saved on toilet paper. Because... <laughs> Because that shut our whole system down. You felt full all the time. And did that for three months. I'm just now getting to where I can eat peanut butter again. Okay, I'm closing. I'm over now. Listen. Go to your insurance company or go buy your book. Get my book. Go to the bookstore. Get the blanks. You can download them off the internet for free. Go to the public library and download them for free. Everybody say free. This doesn't cost you anything. Get the forms. Fill them out. Who do I owe? How many credit cards have I got? What's the interest? How much to owe? What's the balance? What's the monthly payment? Do I owe Sears? I mean, do I, owe, uh, I mean Walmart? Who do I owe? Write it down. Find out where Goliath is and how bad he is because we're going to go whip him. Second thing is, what are you good at? I'm not good at nothing. Oh, no, 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 no. In the middle of this book, and you go back there, you don't have to buy the book. Get your pencil and paper and write the scriptures down. I'm going to save you money more ways. This is a book I made for my kids years ago called This Is My Life. This is their name. This is my name. This is my personal one. Your name means something. Your name's prophetic. Your name is prophetic. You think your mama just named you after your uncle? God knew what your name was going to be before you had a mother. Your name's prophetic. Don't ever hate your name. Build your name into something. And then I've got this. This is in a three-ring binder. Then I've got these basic scriptures. Psalm 139, all the days of my life were written in heaven before I was born. Jeremiah 1.5, God said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. God had a plan for my life before I was born. I don't care if I couldn't diagram a sentence. I don't care if I couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time. I don't care if I got kicked off the football team. I don't care what did or did not happen to me. has nothing to do with the gift God gave me the moment I was conceived. He said, those gifts are without repentance. He'll never take it away. My gift will make room for me. It will make me wealthy. It will make me famous. He will never take it away from me. That's why they're heathen make millions of dollars. Why? They're using their gift. Once God bless them? God's not blessing them. They're stewarding their gift with their professional athletes, musicians, entertainers. How can, they're, they're heathen. They make a lot of money. They're stewarding their gift. The laws of God work whether you're saved or not saved. Every one of you here tonight are gifted by God to do something. Something. You understand? 
I love this one right here, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you future and a hope. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me. I'll answer you and show you great mighty things you don't know about. Romans eleven twenty nine. the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. He will never withdraw them. First Peter chapter 4, use the gift God has given you to serve others faithfully, administering the grace in various forms. Now, God says basically this, the King James, if your gift is serving, serviceability God gives. If your gift is speaking, speakers of the oracles of God. You're gifted, and God will help you use your gift. You understand that? Then the last page in here, this is from uh, the book I told you, Discover Your God-Given Gifts. I recommend the book. This is my personal test. When I took that test, these were the top 12 vocations. I I didn't make these up. These were the top 12 vocations. Let me listen to you. It said I would be good at doing this. I'd be a good advertising executive, ambassador. I I would be a great auctioneer. Guidance counselor, minister, personnel manager, public relations director, recreation director, religious education director, and writer. I've done all but two of those. Why? It's natural. Your gift is natural. It's not spooky. It's a gift from God. God gave you a gift to earn a living, to pay your bills, leave money behind, pay your tithes, help the missionaries, help orphans, help widows. Your gift will make room for you, make you famous, make you wealthy. Most Christians don't believe they're gifted. Until you get it in here, it won't help. You're just lucky. There's no such thing as luck. There's God and the devil, and there's no middle ground. There's only two kingdoms. There's no luck, no bad luck, no good luck. There's God and there's the devil. There's life and there's death. There's blessing and there's cursing. We get to choose. You understand that? So, find your budget. That's the first thing you do. Close with this page right here. You find your budget. Find out what you're good at. Go to unemployment office. Take a test. Don't buy this book. Take this test won't take 30 minutes. I promise you in, in 24 hours, if you want to take a day next time you get a day off, find out how bad it is financially, what you owe, whatever. Find out what you're good at. Go to the Internet. And I make my kids do this. What do you want to be, Jessica, an accountant? Well, let's go to the Internet. What's the average accountant in America make? Well, the average accountant in America with two years and more time makes 52000 a year. Well, Jessica, how much you make? 31000 Well, you're poor. You're not making what you should make. Well, what do I need to do? You need to make yourself more valuable. Well, should I quit? Well, we don't quit. We don't quit. We make ourselves more value. Make them pay to keep you. Okay? And if they won't, somebody else will hire you away. God will open the door. You need to make yourself more valuable, not cuss your company out. Got that? And so Sarah wanted to be a teacher. My oldest is a teacher. Sarah, what do you want to be a teacher? Okay, what's the average teacher to make? Well, in Oklahoma, it's not much. It's about 39000 a year if you have at least eight-year seniority. Well, she works at a private school where there's no retirement. And I said, you know, if you work the rest of your life, you... You have to work till you're 99 because there's no retirement here. Do you understand that? Well, I, I love it. I think God's called me. Well, God didn't call you to be stupid. I'm a Christian teacher, but you got to be blunt sometimes. I said, if you're going to be a teacher, babe, why don't you be in charge of teachers? If you're going to be one, why don't you be a principal? Principals will make more than the teachers. Well, I don't want to be a principal. Well, you're going to work for a stupid one eventually, and you'll wish you were him instead of him being you. And she did. She worked for somebody who's rude and crude and mean. It's like, I thought I told you. Eventually, you're going to work for an idiot. <laughs> It's great motivation. You know, if I was a boss, I wouldn't treat people that way. But you're not a boss. Either become one or shut up. So she became one. <laughs> and so today she's working on her doctorate because now you can be over the bosses. She's got a big vision. Because if you get your doctorate, you can be school superintendent. You make 80000 a year instead of 39000 a year. I don't know. What would you do with that extra 41000 You could buy me a Winnebago. <laughs> I have a list if you don't have one. I'm trying to help you do the practicality of this. Get a budget. 
find out how much you owe. Then you can get this list. This is a simple list. I've read this several times. Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God. James 4, 2. You want something, you don't get it. Why? You don't have because you don't ask God. If I run a budget, find out how bad it is, I'll be praying sincerely for the first time. My God, we need help, Father. We need to be debt-free. You said you'd you, you redeem our debts. We got these debts. And so every day you'll get specific. Lord, I, I need $284,000. I need $37,000. Lord, I need to pay this off. I need $1,200 to pay this card off. If you start praying, God will start answering prayer. God loves to show off. God loves to answer prayer. But he can if you don't ask him. So you get a budget. Find out what you're good at. I'm not good at nothing. Well, then you can start praying. God, you gift me to do something. What is it? Evidently, I haven't found it yet because I'm not worth anything. To you, I'm worth something because I haven't evidently found out yet what you gifted me to do. Go to the employment office and take a test. Find out what you're good at and get real good at it. Oh, my goodness, I just set me free. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 16, 23, verily I say, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Up till now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, you shall receive that your joy might be made full. Mm-mm-mm. Matthew eighteen nineteen. If any two of you shall agree to anything that ask, it shall be done to my Father in heaven. Mark eleven twenty four. Whatever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them, you'll have them. Ephesians three twenty. Now to him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think, according to the power that works in me, to him be glory. And then Psalm five three. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will lay my request before you. And that's all we're going to cover tonight. Tomorrow night, we're going to go into the specific scriptures, and I'm going to lay this out for you. Tell you this real simple. Go get a budget. Buy a finance book. Go to the insurance company. Download off the internet. Take a week. Take a month. But sometime before this month's out, find out how bad it is. Find out who do you owe and how much do you owe them and what would it take. If somebody said, hey, God's told me to pay your debt off, you can tell me how far in debt you are. Well, I don't know. It's just bad. Do you know how far in debt you are? No, it's just bad. Well, I can't help you. God told me to help you if you could tell me how much it is. God is a detailed God. Get detail and watch miracles start to happen. Number two, find out what you're good at. If you hate your job, you're in the wrong place. Everybody has a bad boss. Everybody works with idiots. The world's full of them. I've been an idiot, and I've been a bad boss. I've been on both ends of this. Do you understand? You don't quit your job because there's humans down there because there's humans everywhere. Maybe you're the solution, but you do need to find out what are you good at. Everybody's gifted to do something. What is it? You shouldn't hate your job. I told the story years ago about the lady we met down in Georgia, North Georgia, and she was, had two beautiful uh, bed and breakfasts. And, uh, man, beautiful place. We were standing there while we were doing a seminar and eating breakfast one time. I said, man, these are pretty. So what's your husband do for a living? She said, well, he owns a moving van company in north of Atlanta. And I said, well, boy, business must be good. She said, well, actually, business is really bad. What do you mean business is bad? Well, it's really bad. He's not doing well. Well, I like to be doing as bad as you are because they own two beautiful bed and breakfasts in Marietta, Georgia, magnificent, expensive neighborhood. I said, I'd like to be doing as bad as you're doing. She said, well, my husband didn't buy these houses. I did. I thought you said you didn't work. Well, I didn't work, but I had a hobby. When I was a child, my mom would get up every morning while she cooked breakfast. She'd put a blank piece of paper and a big pencil in front of me, and I would draw pictures of kitchen stuff. You know, the six eggs my daddy was going to eat, his boots on the floor, the stove, the refrigerator, pots and pans. I drew pictures of kitchen stuff, and Mom would brag on me. My entire life, every morning I got up while she cooked breakfast, I'd draw pictures of kitchen stuff. And I got really good, and I kept the pictures in a box. Mom saved them for me. When I got married, my husband got off to work. I remember I'd sit there because he made good money when I married him. I'd sit there in the kitchen, my bathrobe, after I got the kids off to the school bus, my husband off to work, and I'd draw other pictures of kitchen stuff. I got really good at drawing pictures of kitchen stuff. This is an Episcopal lady. 
She said, one day I was praying, and God said, why don't you put those pictures of kitchen stuff in a cookbook? And she believed God talked to her. She's Episcopal. And she believed God talked to her. And she said, a cookbook? God, I don't know how to cook. My mother never taught me. I just drew pictures of the stuff. My husband cooks or takes me out to eat. No, she said, God said, put it in a blank cookbook. And so she said, a blank cookbook. And so long story short, she designed a cookbook. And so she called this company up in Wisconsin. Hey, if I make a cookbook with blank pages in it with just pictures of kitchen stuff, would you publish it? And the guy said, lady, you write us a check. We'll publish anything you want. So she designed this really nice cookbook called My Favorite Recipes with a blank card on the front that you wrote your name in and you put your favorite recipes in this blank cookbook. Now, in the top right-hand corner of every page is a miniature picture drawing of kitchen stuff that she had drawn all of her life. Every page got a miniature picture drawing of kitchen stuff in the right-hand corner, but the page is blank. There's there for recipes of all kinds, meats, desserts, casseroles, and specialties, and salads. And you give it as a gift with your favorite recipes. I said, really? And you did that? She said, yeah. I said, well, well, she sold, I, th- I forgot the number. She said, I think we sold 380000 of those at $18 a piece. I made two point something million dollars, and I bought these houses. She said, would you like to buy a cookbook? <laughs> no, no, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I did. I bought two of them. I got them in my office right now. I bought two blank cookbooks. Yeah, I'll buy them. <laughs> now, this lady works down at the halfway house in Marietta uh, two days a week feeding the homeless, the hungry. She fixes meals. She washes clothes. Why? She's got $2 million houses in there full of people that pay her money to stay in them. What are you good at? I draw kitchen stuff. What do you do in life? I drew kitchen stuff, put it in a black cookbook, make $2 million. What do you do? Everybody here tonight is good at something. Quit griping about the economy. Quit waiting on the government to help you. Your gift will make room for you. What is it? Go ask God. He'll show you. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. Don't miss tomorrow night. We're going to get to the real practical tomorrow night. It's going to help you out. I'll promise you by the time we finish up, I'll promise you, your faith will be working for your finances. What the devil wants you to look at is what happened with Peter when he went walking on the water. You know the story. Jesus shows up in the middle of a storm. Peter's in the boat and the disciples. Jesus is walking on the water. Peter got really wound up. Hey, Jesus, is that you walking on that water out there? I mean, the only time they could see him is when it would lighten. Lightning. Hey, it's Jesus. And Peter was the only one out there. Hey, can I come out there? And Jesus said, well, come on out, big boy. <laughs> so Peter gets out of the boat, and he's walking on. Whoa. Now, you know, James and John, man, look at that idiot. He's going to drown. Because there's always doubters. What you're about to do, you're going to have family members say, what are you doing? I'm thinking about starting a business. I'm thinking about getting good at something you're too old to do anything. You're just stupid. What kind of idiot church do you go to? I promise you, their cheerleaders from hell are about to come out of the woodwork. Peter goes walking on that water, looking at Jesus. Man, he's walking on water. Look at that. And all of a sudden, Peter's at it. Whoa, this is some boom, waves. Boom, there's Jesus. I'm walking on water. And it's like, I'm walking on the water. Whoa! And he got his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink. This isn't a made up story. Finally, he started, help me a minute. <laughs> and Jesus lifted him back up. Oh, ye of little faith. Jesus scolded him for drowning. I walked on water. You're walking on water. Where's your focus at? If you meditate in the word day and night, you just read a proverb a day, your faith will begin to grow. You'll start believing God for stuff. You'll start saying what the word says instead of what you think. Because many times what I think comes from the devil. You ever had a stupid thought and it come out of your mouth? Felt good when you said it, didn't it? I've got mad at my wife before. Had a thought like, 
that's good. That's too good to not say. She's got this coming. <laughs> Tell us good when it came out. It came back, good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. And I had to sleep on the couch. I thought, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth unless it ministers grace to the hearer. So if she ever gets mad at me, now she, she, I think she'll be here Tuesday night, but she'll laugh every now and then. She'll say something every now and then. Nothing. Oh, praise God. Man, thank you for telling me that. I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't know I was an idiot. I just, I just, I realize how much you love me. You love me enough, you tell me the truth. Come here, hug my neck. It makes her mad, but she'll laugh now. Because I tell her, you know, I appreciate you telling me the truth. It doesn't offend me anymore. Man, you love me enough to tell me that? Man, I love you. Come here, fuck her up. <laughs> this is going to be a year of incredible adventure. We're in for the greatest decade in the history of the world. Don't miss it. Amen. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. We ask you tonight, place us in the belly button of your will. Lord, don't let us go to the left or to the right. But, Father, talk to us. Lead us. Direct us. Talk to us when we go to sleep. We wake up. We walk by the way. We are your sheep. You are our shepherd. We will hear your voice, the voice of a stranger. We will not follow. We thank you for the great adventure we're about to live in Jesus' name. And everybody said, give Lord a hand clap. Pastor.